Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Dave Prentice, Adam Jones, and Gav Buckland as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. And on the agenda today, top of the news, breaking news this afternoon, Morgan Schneidlin has had to undergo surgery on his knee. He tore meniscus uh, in the game versus Arsenal and now faces an extended spell on the sidelines, we expect. Um, so that we get the panel's thoughts on Schneidlin's injury. Uh, Gomez, is he under too much pressure as that 30-minute cameo against Arsenal where he was actually Everton's man of the match? Heaped expectation on him to deliver quickly rather than keeping expectations <laughs> rather than a staged <laughs> comeback. Um, Manchester United on Sunday come to Goodison. We'll look at them. Are they improving? Are they a, a different beast than earlier in the season? Of course, Bruno Fernandez appears to have given them a bit of a lift. And of course, Thursday marked four years of Farhad Mashiri. I'll be getting the panel's thoughts on the first four years and what may happen or how things should look in four years' time. Um, Gav, we'll come to you first. Schneidlin's injury, a real blow for the player. Um, yeah. Appreciate he's a player that is uh, divides opinion, should we say. Um, but I think there's been you know, an understanding and an appreciation that he'd actually been looking okay in recent weeks. Granted, his performance against Arsenal wasn't the best. Um, it feels no injury is, it comes at a good time, of course. Yeah. But for a player who feel, it feels as though is constantly on the brink of an exit almost, coming to the final 12 months of his contract in the summer, it feels like an injury at probably the worst time, if he's minded to try and stay and fight for his uh, his future at Everton. Yeah, well, you mentioned, you know, refer back to the start, or about Gomez returning from injury, so it's, a, it's an area of the pitch all season that we've not had the full complement of players. And any sort of sh- sh- injury, however short-term, in that area damages us, it limits our options. Um, Schneiderlin to, to quote Brennan was having one of his good spells you know uh, as you've seen and, and typically he gets injured then so I think it's a it's a, it's a blow for the team and the player in that it restricts our options and puts pressure on other players which we were doubtless talking about so uh, not great news I mean I assume we're talking maybe the end of the season uh, for uh, f- football club and, and, and Carlo not not putting a time frame yeah. on it but if you've got under, undergone knee surgery that's that's not a couple of weeks yeah, is it? It's two months at the end of the season isn't it? which is uh, mm. not great so not great news for a player who has shown some decent form in the last month Adam Gav, Gav uh, makes a good point there I mean in terms of rotten luck in one season in one area of the field I mean it doesn't get much worse for Everton than, than it's been in, in, in centre mid no I think as every as every centre mid we've had suffered some sort of injury so far this maybe Tom Davis Davis hasn't. is the only one yeah, I yeah, think maybe yeah. Davis is the only one who stayed fit all season the rest of them and it wasn't you know, Davis playing with an injury early in the season he was, yeah, he was, yeah. Yeah. Recall, yeah. yeah so he, it, 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 I think rotten looks probably the perfect way to describe it and you know I was saying on the podcast last week, I think Schneidlin, out of the options that we, you know, we had fit at the time, I think he was the one who was going to be best suited to playing alongside Gomez. I think he's, you know, 
very naturally gifted on the ball, uh, and I think he suits Carlo Ancelotti's four four two really well. I remember us saying to each other when he went off against Arsenal that we were a bit surprised that Schneiderlin was the man who was replaced by Gomez. I suppose that <laughs> might, might, yeah. maybe mm-hmm. maybe explains it and lifts the lid on it a little bit more. But you know, as you say, you know, he's coming up to the final twelve months of his contract uh, in the summer, and you know, even even if you know. Even if he was thinking of keep fighting to keep his place, it's going to be a problem for him. If the club were looking to move him on, it's going to be a problem because you know he could have been playing his way into form and into, well, into it, well, some sort of move. In, in many ways, maybe he was slowly playing into some sort of form. Yeah. yeah so yeah, it, it is. It, it's really frustrating for the player and and for Everton as well. So you know, it'll be interesting to see how uh, how Carlo shifts and is able to deal with that against United this weekend, and then obviously uh, further into the future as well. We, we've, we've discussed Morgan's future throughout the history of this podcast. It seems, <laughs> it seems, it seems to permanently be on the agenda. But d- does this injury, coupled with everything else, uh, would you be fearful if, for Morgan Schneidlin if, if he was minded to want to stay at the football club in, in the final 12 months of his deal? It's not going to do him any favours, is it? I'm not going to be hypocritical here because I have said that he's had a good spell recently, but we're never really sure on how long these good spells are going to last um, maybe the system suits him under Carlo and that's why he's been performing better uh, but obviously he's not going to get the opportunity to impress him anymore so it, yeah, it, it doesn't do him any favours at all in his bid to get a new deal, get a new contract I'd be, I'd be loath to offer him one anyway I think given what we've seen mm. from him throughout his Everton career uh, but what this injury does is throw an absolutely golden opportunity out there for Tom Davis um, you know, Fabian Delph is the obvious choice, you know, to partner Andre Gomez. But you know, we all know about his fragility throughout the course of the season. Obviously, Andre Gomez has just returned from two and a half months or three months out of the game. So, you know, he's not going to be playing 90 minutes, you know, regularly, week in, week out. Uh, so, Tom Davis, who hasn't really featured all that much under Carlo Ancelotti, this is his chance, I would think. Uh, it's an opportunity for him to show the manager what he's capable of, what he can do, and can he play in that system and uh, prove that he's got a long-term future at the club. So, you know, whilst the injury is disappointing, whilst it's, you know, frustrating for a lot of people, as ever with injuries, you know, one door closing opens a door for somebody else. And Tom Davis has got, well, you would hope he's going to get a chance in the near future. Tom Davis, 32 minutes in the last five Premier League games. That's a tremendous stat off the top of your head. <laughs> well, it's interesting though, isn't it? Because Carlo, in his like top table press conference today, was talking about Gilfie Sigurdsson, and you know, obviously, he's come under a fair bit of criticism over the last few weeks. But Carlo was saying he was quite happy with him. Like he, he has says, has he has he become the whipping boy unfairly? Ad, on Sigurdsson, I, I appreciate that he is not performing particularly well. I, mm-hmm. and, you know, granted, he's in a different position, mm-hmm. um, but you know, he, his performance levels haven't been. As good as we would hope from a player mm-hmm. of his of his ability, but do you think almost he's become the easy target in some ways for 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 a performance? His performance for me wasn't any worse than five or six players on Sunday. Yet mm-hmm. the focus seemed to be on him. Yeah, I'd, I'd say maybe that game in isolation. I would say unfairly. Yeah, he did he did get quite a bit of criticism because you know I thought I thought he had an all right game, uh, but. You know, when you when you look at his numbers from, you know, last season and compared to this season, you know that you just can't ignore how how few goals that he scored this yeah. season. And you know, Carlo was obviously saying today, you know, the requirements for him in this position have changed. Uh, but massively, it, yeah. But it's hard, it's hard to put your finger on what it, what the requirements 
for him are mm. in the, in that position. You know, is he is he meant to be more of a defensive force? Because if he if he is, I'm not really seeing that from him. It's not is his he, game. Is it's he yeah? Is he is he meant yeah. to be still the creative force? Because even then, I've not really seen that from him either. So. You know, it was interesting to see Carlo say he was he was happy with him, and you know maybe saying that in relation to you know the Schneidlin injury, maybe we'll see Sigurdsson partner and Gomez. Is he, is he just classically, you know, manager one hundred and one man man management in the in front of the TV cameras saying he's happy with him because he knows that there's eleven important games between now and the end of the season that could get us into Europe or not, and he will need Schneidlin, um, Sigurdsson rather. Oh, Freudian slip there. <laughs> <laughs> he's, obviously, he's obviously trying to take the pressure off him. Uh, but to go back to your point about is he being unfairly criticised, 100%. He's not having a great season. Uh, he hasn't scored anything like the goals or created the goals that he did last season. But I saw one analysis uh, on Twitter earlier in the week, someone accusing him of being lazy and hiding. And they are two qualities or two criticisms you can't possibly level at him. If you look at his numbers, uh, the amount of ground he covers every match day figures very, very highly uh, amongst the team. You know, so figures every single week, and he doesn't hide. He looks for the ball all the time. Uh, he might not use it as well as he has done previously. Mm. The big problem is that we haven't seen the end product from him that we have seen in re- in recent seasons. We haven't seen any goals. You know, we haven't seen you know much in the way of creativity. That's the problem. But to accuse him of other things is just very, very harsh. And I do think he's become a whipping boy, as has, to a lesser degree, maybe Alex Iwobi. Uh, I've seen people criticising him uh, and you know groans about him being in, you know involved from the start of the weekend. And again, you know, he didn't have a particularly good game, which underlines why he got taken off when he did. And he could have done far better with that finish, you know, from at the far post. But he's not been as bad as many people are trying to portray him. And it's almost like that Everton mindset where it has to be one player, you know, that you know yeah. is always picked on all the time. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be Sigurdsson at the moment, and then you know, so maybe to a lesser degree, Iwobi. And um, you know, the club is or the, the side has been playing well in recent weeks. Why not just get behind them? Yeah, look, there's many reasons why. Um some supporters would be frustrated and disappointed or maybe even angry with, with Sigurdsson, Gav. Do you think there's almost now, when you look at Sigurdsson and, and maybe tally that with how the club are trying to change the team, they're trying to bring younger, more dynamic and athleticism, speed. Yeah. And Sigurdsson, Isn't for everything he has, yeah. is not that. And do you think he's almost a symbol of, as there's been many in, in the recent past, is he a symbol of a past that Everton to try to get away yeah, from. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I was going to mention that point. It's like, I mean, we've had people talk about financial accounts and fair play and wage bills and stuff. And when that happens, we tend to look at sort of three or four players mm. who are on six-figure salaries who may not have, shall we say, fulfilled their potential um, at Everton or, or recently. Sigurdsson's in that bracket and I think he's sort of the, the fall guy. I mean, Schneiderlin's have been the fall guy as well. I think it does. You, you know, we're talking about here's probably a group of five or six players, of which probably only Sigurdsson probably gets the first two. You know, off the top of my head, Walcott doesn't play every week, Schneider doesn't play every week. So, consequently, I think he's the fall guy and he's a symbol of that sort of largesse of the, the early machinery years, which doubtless we'll talk about later. Mm. And and that supporters are thinking they're holding us back in terms of buying new players and stuff yeah, like this. Yeah. And last season he got away with it because I think he got thirteen goals. Oh, last well, year, well, thirteen mm, last year. Get away with, he played very well. Get away, last yeah, season, get yeah. away. Yeah, that's wrong. Yeah, wrong statement about me. He 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 managed to put you know set that aside, and he was excellent last season. Um, but this season, I think is it still only one goal. 
in the league, West yeah. Ham, yeah. Yeah, and on Sunday, there was like three or four passes he did that. Well, they weren't exactly passes anymore, like sort of, you know, conversions in the union, <laughs> weren't they? The way they, were, <laughs> the way they ended up, you know, yeah. <laughs> so, I th- so we got a bit of stick down, which I think, reasonable, you know, I think that was reasonable. But I think he's a symbol, isn't he? He's a symbol of the largesse of the, the machinery is that people think holding us back in terms of going forward, in terms of buying the players he wants, and he's got that stick and that that sort of you know unwanted sort of tag. Um, but I do think at the sa- at the same time, I think his performances this year have justified criticism, considering we paid forty forty eight million for and whatever. I think also Carlo can have it both ways. He can say he's happy with him in that role mm. that he's playing, that he's filling in. Whether he's happy with them as overall performances is a slightly different question, isn't it? Mm, interesting. Um, staying with the midfield, but moving on, Andre Gomez, of course, as we all know, uh, made his return um, to competitive football, uh, a 30-odd-minute cameo at the Emirates on Sunday, and he was excellent, man of the match in that 30-minute period. Looked like he'd never been away, almost looked like better than ever. Um Ancelotti was asked a really interesting question, Ad, because you were there, I'll ask you this first, mm. at the press conference today. Um, the manager was asked whether there is now actually too much pressure on Gomez at this early stage of a recovery from a horrific injury <coughs> um, to be delivering performances of you know the player that was we, we saw in his re, you know his peak last season. Um, Carlos said no, no pressure from me, no pressure from the club. Mm. What do you think? Uh, I think I think there's a reasonable expectation from supporters, and I believe that. Expectations only going to get greater after his, you know, thirty-minute cameo uh, last weekend. I think we're all expecting him to be in the starting lineup this time round against Man United, and you know there'll be a lot of people out there who are expecting a similar level of performance, if not a better level of performance. And I think you know what we've just talked about there with Morgan Schneiderlin being out. It's only going to increase that sort of pressure on Gomez now because he needs to be that creative force in the midfield. He needs to be that cool head. Uh, we need to see him playing those sorts of passes that he was against mm-hmm. Arsenal. Uh, you know, Schneidlin, I, th- I think that's probably one of his best attributes is in terms of his passing. I think he's his passing accuracy is really good, so he he'll be a miss in that sort of in that sort of role. So yeah, I think it only ramps up the pressure on Gomez. But you know, Ancelotti was saying if there is any pressure, he should use that as a sort of motivation for him, and, and you know, as a confidence builder. And I think that it probably works that way as well. You know, Gomez will have gained so much confidence from that you know 30 minute spell against Arsenal that he should be able to come into this Manchester United game and when Ancelotti does have the conversation with him are you ready to start pretty sure Gomez will say yeah throw me in there get that Goodson crowd behind me and it'll it'll spare me on because of course like, he did the exact same thing against Crystal Palace he didn't did, he last, yeah. last season when he came back from injury so he knows he can do it what was his second performance like can we remember I Man United Man United away. Nice, okay. And he was very oh. good. Yeah. There you go. Parallels. Yeah. Um, just before I come to you, I just want to flag up um, 10.30 tonight on our website and in Saturday's paper. Um, big sit down with Andre Gomez um, where he talked more than candidly about his injury and it's ter- terrific stuff. Um, so keep an eye out for that uh, tonight and in, t- in tomorrow's paper. Um Preno, do you think there's too much pressure going into Sunday on Andre Gomez to be the Andre Gomez that we saw dominate the midfield at West Ham last season and, and things like that? It's, it's, it's a strange one. This, you very correctly described his injury as a horrific injury. 
And normally horrific injuries keep you out for six and seven months, if not a full season. Therefore, it takes a long time to get back to match speed, match fitness, match sharpness. The speed of his recovery has astonished everybody. So he's back in action again less than three months after that injury. So maybe that level of sharpness um, hasn't dissipated as much as it might have done normally. And so maybe the expectation levels are quite rightly high because he's not had as long out as you would normally endure. Um, we expect big things from him because he's such a good player and that, that's never going to go away because you know of the quality of footballer he is. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti's spoken many, many times about vertical football. You know, he wants to see forward passing all the time. That's what he does better than anybody. So I think the expectations are fair. I mean, he's... Um, He's a very, very good footballer, capable of that, and uh, his match sharpness maybe isn't quite as diminished as it might have been, you know, sort of normally. So it's just something that you have to accept in modern day football. You know, when you've got a reputation, you've got a name, you know, like he has, deservedly so. So yeah, expectations are heaped on his shoulders, but I think they're probably warranted. We surprised how well he played on Sunday. I was amazed. Uh, I really was because you know I sat in this room and argued that he shouldn't be used from the start. You know, I didn't think he'd be anywhere near ready. And obviously from the conversation he had with Carlo Ancelotti beforehand, he didn't feel ready to actually start the game. So, okay, he came into the match at a good time. Half an hour to go, game was getting spread. You know, so obviously there were openings starting to uh, show, which he can take advantage of. But I was still absolutely blown away by, you know, sort of the quality of his performance, his willingness to, you know, sort of get stuck in, you know, even managed to pick up a booking later on. Um, you know, th- everything about his performance was as we remembered it. And, you know, we threw the caveat in last time that those first couple of performances after an injury, adrenaline carries you through and it's, you know, whether you can continue that then beyond that. But again, that goes back to the old arguments about, you know, injuries that keep you out for seven and eight months. This hasn't been that long. It's, it's been an astonishingly short-lived period of time for such a bad injury. So, um, yeah, I was surprised, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him continue that level of performance again mm. at the weekend on Sunday against United. Although, bearing in mind that's an area where United are very strong in central midfield, so you know, we'll we'll see. And wasn't it telling that on Sunday that very very quickly, as soon as he came on, the centre halves and the full backs were just looking to get in the ball. There was no kind of feeling out process. Right, where are you? You're on it. We need you type of thing. Right, it's an unforgiving environment, isn't it, the Premier League? You, you wouldn't be out there unless you're ready to play. You can't just ease your way back into action nowadays in the intensity of the Premier League. Those players will also have seen him on the training pitch and have trained with him. You know, Some of them will have played in that behind-closed-doors game. Uh, they'll know what level he's at and whether he's capable of it. So, yeah, they'll be pinging balls into him all day long. If you've got an asset like that, you use him. Gav, um, Manchester United visit Goodison. Yeah. Two, two o'clock kick-off on Sunday. What do you make of them? Can I just talk about Gomez for a minute? Of course you can. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Uh, you know, thanks, Phil. Uh, yeah. do, do you want to host No, 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 I was just saying, you know, I was just saying. No, I, I was just, the point about Gomez is, and you asked me this about a month ago, where did you see Gomez playing in a 4-4-2? Yes. Right, okay. And I said, different to where he's been playing thus far because you've got to play defensive, you've got to play snide them with them or, you know, Delph. So therefore, what you don't want him doing, and though he, I thought he played really well when he came on on, on on Sunday, you don't want him sitting deep and just knocking the ball forward because you want him up the other end of the pitch. So what I want to see him doing if he played four four two, and when he's fully fit, and I understand he's getting, you know, he's going to take a bit of time. I want to see him further play, playing further up the pitch than what he's done thus far in his Everton career because he needs to do that. Otherwise, we'll just end up with two strikers who are isolated. I need to, need to see him further up the pitch. The other thing, though, having said all that, where I think he benefits is, the time we saw it on Sunday is, it 
two is passing range if you've got two strikers who run the channels, doesn't it? Yes, Where he's got two, mobile. two, two, two yeah. mobile strikers who, who pull out wide. It gives him more opportunities to play the ball from deep than it, than just one. And I think he saw, I think that was immediately noticeable on Sunday, wasn't it? That we, we, he's got he's got more options to, to play the ball in, to, 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 you know, up top than what he's had previously. And I think that will suit him. And I also think that will suit Richarlison and uh, Calvert-Lewin. He's probably an ideal f- midfielder for them. Um, the way Carlo wants to play, but I do want to see him playing further up the pitch. So sorry, I just thought. No, so if he's if he's the eight, if you like, yeah, who's who's the ideal six at the minute, or maybe well, well, we just said Snyderlin, isn't yeah. it? Or, or uh, Delph can play. I think Tom. Da- I think he'd struggle with Davis and Gomez in midfield. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think going back to you know, if you wanted me to talk about Man United, we would have. But if you got the, the, the lineup, I think if Delph's fit. I'm just thinking. Thing is, though, de- sorry, to, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Whenever we mention Delph as, as, as a defensive midfielder, I, I just go right back to the summer. I was sat in the hotel in Switzerland with Marco Silva, and he goes, "He's not a replacement for Guy." No, no, but I think he's because so, of his experience. I think he's more suited to playing that role than okay. Thomas, from an experience point of view. So I would think, you know, going back to Plano's points, and don't want to talk about Man United. Yet, I could see maybe Davis even getting the shares on. On Sunday, okay. but I anyway, know. Sorry, going back to your original question, just let's get that off my chest. You know, but, no, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you think about Man United? Yeah. Uh, far better than what they were a month ago, and I'm looking at this fixture now with a bit more wariness than what I did say four weeks ago. Seven points from last three games in the Premier League since he got beat by Burnley, is it? Doing well in Europe. Obviously, this uh, Bruno Fernandez has come in, you know, uh, has made a big <coughs> difference. I think they'll be up for it on Sunday. Uh, and I think they'll have last year's defeat to get out of their system. Yeah, I exactly think Solskjaer's sort of referred to that, hasn't he, on mm-hmm. a number of occasions. So um, I, I think if United in far more, you know, let's uh, with the balance course, not exactly playing, you know, Manchester United ninety six to ninety nine era, mm-hmm. are we? You know, um, still beatable, but I think it's a far more difficult fixture for us than what I've seen four weeks ago. Adam, you were across um, Solskjaer's presser, weren't you, this morning? What yeah. was um, what was he saying? Uh, well, he was saying that that four uh, 0 defeat against Everton last season was the lowest point that he's that he's had as a manager. He was admitting that as I, well as a manager. Yeah, generally, I, I, he took he took uh, Cardiff down. Yeah. Oh, I, I, no, I'm not. I'm not saying <laughs> that. He, might, he, might, he, might, he might have meant as Man United right, manager. Okay, to yeah. be Sorry, right, okay. But uh, yeah, he was saying that was his lowest point, and then he was admitting as well that he thought that a few players were having their last chance in that sort of game. But mm. obviously, he had to wait until the summer to be able to. Offload them, so. Who do we meant there? Being yeah. Rom? Well, Rom, Rom, and Chris Small were the two that started, and you aren't there Seems anymore. Right. But uh, yeah, apparently like, it looks because of injuries and because of transfers and everything. It looks like only only two of the players who started against us last year are guaranteed to be starting. That's right. if that's if Martial's out, of course. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. he gave he gave a, a little bit of an update on Martial, saying he was going to have a scan today. Right. But they they weren't really sure. They said he tried to play. Uh, yesterday in yesterday's game, but against Bruges was it? Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. Tried to play in yesterday's game, but uh, like he failed a fitness test, so he'll have another fitness test. I think it'll be, you know, a bit of a boost for Everton if he, if he's out because he's caused Everton a good few problems in the past. And yeah, as Gaz says, like I think Bruno Fernandez has given them an extra, an extra mm-hmm. sort of dimension. Yeah, like, his it seems so. Yeah. His creativity in the centre is so crucial, and it it's kind of. It's kind of negated the fact that they don't really have 
a goal scorer. I know they signed the Gallo in January as well, but it's, I still don't think he's the, the natural no, goal scorer course, yeah. that ever, uh, that Manchester United need. So I, I think maybe having just the creative powers of Bruno Fernandes is maybe offsetting offsetting that a little bit. So I think Ancelotti picked up on him in particular, didn't he, in his press conference? And he said, you know, he's a he's a really good player in a dangerous area of the pitch. So you know, it p- puts even even yeah. more added pressure on us getting that that central midfield pair and right, really, because mm. we've got to got to be able to keep a close eye mm. on him. So yeah, as Gav says, I think it's this is shaping up to be a much tougher prospect than it might have done a few weeks ago. Um, Preno, does our defence have to change f- for s- for Sunday? Um, well, it depends if Lucas Dean's fit, I presume. Um, He's trained individually, um, but there is still an assessment required, I think. I think there's still some doubt over him. Right, OK. Well, yeah, I'd like to see him back you know, so in the starting eleven again, if yes. not. Uh, no, I don't see any reason why not. Uh, Mina, Polgate seems to be forging a, a decent relationship at the moment so much so that we've had uh, transfer stories linking Mason Holgate with the move to Manchester City now um, which uh, just underlines how well he's done this season uh, you know so what an incredible return to form he's had um, now I'd be quite comfortable with that uh, I think as Gav says the central midfield partnership is the one that needs to be absolutely right because United are a very different proposition to how long ago was it that Duncan took his team there and um, you know so did a number on them with December, Mason yeah. Holgate and Tom Davis yeah, in centre midfield? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was only like a couple of months ago. Yeah. Uh, they've improved significantly then, since then, underlining once again you know the the benefit, a bit of confidence those behind the team, uh, and they were helped last night by you know Bruges having a player sent off you know as early as they did. Uh, but that notwithstanding, they have played very very well in recent games, and they have really good quality uh, in a lot of areas of the pitch. He's bought well, uh, Solskjaer, a number of the players that he's brought in you know so have had an impact. So yeah, it's going to be a lot more difficult than it would have been uh, a couple of months ago. But it's not a, it's not like facing you know so a Liverpool or a Man City you know so they are one of the mm. you know so the lesser lights in that pack at the moment and they are capable of dropping points you know so every now and then so if he Carlo Ancelotti gets his starting eleven right if the atmosphere is good if the intensity is right um, you know if Andre Gomez is firing on all cylinders from the start a lot of ifs there I know mm. uh, but you know there's a potential yet to get a result and we need it to be honest because you actually identified this run of four games as being pivotal to whether we get into Europe or not and despite the performance being decent against Arsenal the result wasn't therefore that piles the pressure onto this one we need to win really you know so a draw isn't really good enough uh, we need to get three points and we're capable of doing it but it's going to take a very very big performance from a lot of players if we're going to get that result I've seen a couple of people make the suggestion that Holgate should come back into midfield for this game so that would that will, that will be interesting mm. I'm not sure I'd be no, I'm not sure I'd be against it to be honest mm. I think he'd be a good defensive foil for Gomez if he partners Gomez, put bring Michael Keane into central defence. It's not as if Michael Keane suddenly turns into a bad player. Mm. Let's, let's 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 try and, and, and second guess Carlo and, and what we know of what he said and, and how he thinks. Is the fact that Michael Keane has struggled to get in the team almost make Carlo's mind up for him, for him in that respect that he can't do without Holgate at centre half? Um, not necessarily because that, I don't think we've had you know we over the last few weeks. Schneiderlin has been fifth, so he's he's not he's not exactly had a problem in picking a defensive midfielder. I think this this is the, like, you know, if 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 I think if Delph's fifth, Delph Delph plays and Delph starts, but you know if 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 it's going to come down to it, I, I I wouldn't be against 
personally seeing Holgate move move up into midfield because it's not as if it's not as if Michael Keane's poor form has led to him being on the bench. I think it's the amazing form of Holgate that's keeping him in the team, really. You know, to, as I say, it's not as if overnight Michael Keane suddenly turned into a bad player. Like he was fantastic for us last season. So yeah, like when did he when did he play did he play against Palace? He did, and he Even looked meaner against Palace. Yeah. He did, and, and for me, it looked like he was trying a bit too hard to impress Ancelotti that game. You know, this vertical passing he's talking about. I, I can think of three or four instances where he was trying to ping forward balls forward unsuccessfully. They were going into touch. They were like, you know, to over hit, and he settled down eventually. But it was almost like he was trying too hard. You know, to yeah. prove that he can be that kind of player. I just think the Holgate, good though he is as a centre half, doesn't can't bring that into midfield I remember that performance against uh, United where you know he, he looked very much like an emergency central midfielder who was basically trying to mimic everything that Tom Davis did and given time maybe he could develop into that kind of player I'm just not sure against the side of United's quality and uh, he, he's being excellent as centre-half so why moving yeah, it's football's about partnerships isn't it and that's one of our stronger partnerships at the moment so why would you want to you know, change it, but I, I do agree with that to a degree. But I think I'd I keep that there, the, you know, on on Sunday because I do think that the working well together. I'll be, you know, I think against the better teams. I, I mean, I, I think that Mason's done really well, but I want to see him tested against the best teams on a number of occasions before it past judgment. I don't want to um, see him tested too much on Sunday. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I just think you know against the better teams you know, the so-called top six. I think he's doing really well, but I'd, I'd like to see more get him play more times against the likes of Arsenal and Man United and before a pass judgment, but he's done really well. Uh, I, I believe uh, Ancelotti passed was the firm rebuttal to any... Uh, well, uh, God, you've just, you've just... Have I? You've oh, okay, well, I've done this podcast, <laughs> obviously, today. Um, <laughs> zero possibility. Zero, okay, yeah. Okay. As, as definitive as it gets. Yeah, as he was quoting Jose Mourinho. Yes. For some reason. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think... I like want to see Colgate tested more before I pass final judgments on him, but I definitely keep him at centre-half on uh, on Sunday. I think of the two, I think he had him in as... A bit more flaky at the moment. I think uh, we're, we're, we're unfortunately back into the realms of erratic Mina. Yeah, we don't really know what Mina we're getting week to week. Same for Sadibi, really, at the minute. And for the last few games, anyway. Yeah, yeah very much so. That, doesn't it? Yeah. Do, do yeah. the thing about the midfield partnership on uh, on on Sunday. What I'd, I'd suggest, and I'm not sure whether this is just a one-off, is on on Sunday that thing where the two midfielders went into the full-back positions and the full-backs pushed further up the pitch. Right. Don't you see that where like. Delford drop into the left back position, so Baines would play further up the pitch. You know, mm. you know the um, the chance from Iwobi. Uh, yeah, mm. that you know that the, the interplay between Sigurdsson and Richardson that all started from I think Delph going to left back, mm. playing the ball to Baines, and then that sort of because you further up the pitch that allowed that interplay Baines, Richardson, uh, Sigurdsson, and I'm just wondering whether if Carlo is and Schneiderlin did the same on the other sides of the pitch, and Sadibi pitch. Um, pushed up further. I'm just wondering that might if he wants to do that again on Sunday, he'd want Delph to, mm. yeah, to play. If if Baines is if Baines is still on the team, so it'd be he, he might want a left side midfielder because that that that's one of the things you know we talk about recruitment. We are short of left footer players, aren't we? In the whole oh, team, absolutely, yeah. You know, yes. I'm 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 sure that I've had that conversation at some point in the past. 18 months with Silver, who mentioned you mentioned that very thing that the, the squad was lacking left-footed players. Yeah, 
Delph obviously was brought in with that, as that was one aspect that he would bring to the team. With Luca Dean, Bainesy. Yeah. Pickford. It's just it's just interesting. It was an interesting tactical thing on Sunday, the way the two defensive midfielders going to the full back position so the wing the the, the full backs could then play further up the pitch. I'm just wondering if he's planning to do that again on there. Uh, on Sunday. And speaking of left-footed, there was, of course, the infamous search for a left-footed right winger last summer. That oh, yeah, did, yeah. That did not produce who we wanted. Um, Marcel Brands, of course, at the general meeting, as we all know, hinted very strongly that a right winger is on the shopping list for the summer. Does he have to be left-footed? Yeah. Is Yarmolenko still around? Is he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seems permanently yeah. injured, doesn't he? Yeah, it? I was going to say. But, but, that, but, you, but know, you know, in terms of the way Ancelotti plays, yeah, the yeah. wingers becoming, like... Quasi number tens almost. Yeah, you know exactly. What I mean? Well, well, Bernard's done that, hasn't he? That's what I mean on the other side, yeah. But that, that's the other thing about like Gomez, the way he plays. If, if Bernard plays when Gomez is in the team, because Bernard plays, tends to move in from the left into the middle of the pitch, is he going to be occupying the space that Andre's going to be mm. occupying? And how, how, that's an interesting little. Set up because yeah. if then Sigurdsson about it, Sigurdsson or Snyderlin have been there, that that's not been the case. But Anze might be filling that gap that Bernard's been playing and doing really well, hasn't he? When he's moved in from yes. the left mm-hmm. and, and playing between the lines. But if Anze's there, what are we going to do? So that just a little little thing around with the, the, the setup and the way we've been playing, perhaps we'll follow up from uh, Gomez getting in the team. We don't want the. Uh and getting in each other's way like they seem to be when we pl- tried to play about 18 number 10s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, poor Davy Classen. Well, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on to the final part of today's podcast. Uh, Thursday marked the fourth anniversary of Fahad Mashiri's arrival at Goodison. Um, how time has flown. Uh, an eventful four years. Um, how would you sum up the Mashiri era to this point? Well, it's impossible to sum it up in one word. Um He's made a few strange choices uh, at yes. times uh, when it comes to you know sort of managerial decisions, but the overall summary has to be excellence is excellent too hard a word. I don't think so. If you look at the situation we were in financially before he came in, and oh, is it like three hundred and fifty million or something he's injected into the club? You know, in those four years, um, everything he's done has been done with a desire. Uh, to see Everton progress and you know sometimes it hasn't paid off effectively we're in the same position that we were when he first arrived at the club four years ago Um, but you can't say that the club's prospects are the same because of the play the quality of player that he's brought in the amount of money that he's injected into the club he's effectively uh, you know sort of wiped away you know so the club's debts in that time but he's also made us think what could be possible under his stewardship uh, because, you know, effectively, you know, the, the huge amounts of wealth that he's brought in. But the most important thing of all is Bramley Moore. Bramley Moore would not be happening without Farhad Mashiri, you know, so on board. Uh, despite all the will, uh, you know, so for the, the powers that be, it needed somebody, you know, so with basically the, the dollars in the back pocket, you know, so to get behind him. And, and he has done that. So overall, it's been very, very progressive and very, very forward-looking. The one thing that really irritates me enormously is that whenever I see summaries about Farhad Mashiri's reign, is that everybody always, or not everybody, but you see some people still saying, yeah, but what's Bill Kenwright still doing there? What's he doing there? You know, he's holding us back. Again, I saw that a couple of times, uh, you know, written this week. 
And I'm thinking, hang on, he's holding us back. Who actually brought Farhad Mashiri to the football club? You know, so he's the guy that, you know, so waited patiently until, you know, he found a person that he felt he could trust with Everton Football Club. And he found the right man, I'm convinced. Um, and he's still there because Farhad Mashiri wants him there. You know, so he wants him there because of the experience he brings uh, and because of the, you know, the acumen he has in the transfer market, which is now, you know, so still being used. Uh, Marcel Brands obviously, you know, so basically, you know, does that strategy. Uh, but, you know, so Bill helps out where he can. So, you know, overall, I think Farhad Mashiri is uh, being a force for good at Emerson Football Club. And uh, I hope that we can now make that next step, you know, so under his stewardship. Yeah, every new you know, sort of owner that comes in is going to have issues. And he's had his issues, but he's learning from them all the time. And uh, so overall, you know, B, you know, so B, you know, so could do better. <laughs> <laughs> um, add in, in, you know, at this fourth anniversary and having... The two most important positions at the football club, you could argue, the manager and the director of football, Ancelotti and Marcel Brands, has finally far had come to a situation where Everton will now start to progress. Well, you'd like to think so, wouldn't you? You know, you'd he'd be hard pressed to find anybody better to take up either of those two positions than the pair that he's got at the minute. You know, got a world class partnership <laughs> running the club at the minute. So, you know, you'd hope that given the time, uh, you know, the, the funds as well, of course, that they'll be able to, yeah, finally progress Everton on the pitch, I think. Well, Preno makes an interesting point. It's a balancing act from the last four years of, you know, what's happened on the pitch and what's happened off the pitch. I think what's happened off the pitch at Everton has been fantastic since Mashiri's taken over and Bramley Moore mm-hmm. is the shining example of that and Preno's exactly right. It wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for Mashiri's, you know, investment and backing. So it, it's incredible to see that and, you know, it, that that continues to breathe so much excitement, doesn't it? Uh, on the pitch, you know, it's it's been a bit of stagnation, you've got to say. You know, there's been huge ups and downs, but, you know, now Everton have been left with an absolutely world-class pairing in Ancelotti and Brands. So, yeah, uh, I, I have to say, yeah, you've got to, you've got to be hoping that Progression is coming over the coming weeks and months. Gav, um, when we sit around this table in four years' time, all a bit older and wiser, hopefully. Um, <laughs> first one, definitely. Second what will um, <laughs> where will Everton be physically, metaphorically? Yeah. Where where will the club be at? Um, what sort of state will we be in, or maybe should we be in if if this yeah. ambition that Farhad's bringing is to be realised? Well, an hour like yeah, am I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I would, I would expect us to be progressed far more on the pitch than we have done in the last four years. Yes, uh, I'm not sure that's necessarily going to be anything to do with Bramley Moore. I think that, that there's two separate things here. There's not as I just alluded to there, the on the pitch stuff and off the yes. pitch stuff. So talking about the on the pitch stuff, I would hope that we've learned the lessons learned from the the the. I want to say disastrous recruitment from 2016, 17, Lord. which is yeah. But disaster may be the wrong, wrong word, yeah. Flawed, which has held us back. I, you said, I said the other week that if Farad had his time again, I wonder if he'd have had a bit more of a measured, measured approach to recruitment in his first two years. Yeah. I think he panicked a bit. He spoke speaking about windows of opportunity and stuff like yeah. this. Now and I think it was just by anybody, and then we'll just see what happens and hopefully it works out. Well, actually, that mistake is probably going to take six years to rectify. It, it was well-meaning yeah. excitement, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. <coughs> and so, let's face it, Phil, we read podcast and oh, we get him get him and we didn't really, yeah, we, course, really un- yeah. we were gambling with me i'm just wondering whether and 
a more measured approach and and full un- understand about our purchases now the impact on club finances might have might have been put us in a better position for like years four to six over I, the next couple of years I, th- I think you i think you may have spoke about this before on the pod god forgive me if you haven't do you think on reflection and it's easy in hindsight do you think farhad would have kept his powder dry on a director of football until he could get brands do you think he would have held off on the appointment i, I think yeah i think yeah i think I know it's he, easy he, for us he, to he, say he's, that. He's, and, he's, he's, and this is all to do with the next four years because what went on four years could impact on the next four years to, to, to a degree. Is yeah, I think, I think, um, I think he, he don't know whether he panicked. He, it was this window of opportunity kept yeah. on going on about, didn't he? I think he felt there was probably three or four years where actually there was coming back. Leicester just won the title, lad, and, and the TV money gone up and stuff, and maybe thought like this then now. Time to strike, but actually, and and again, easy to be wise after the event is actually the window of opportunities now, because still we all there. know it's still there, it's still there. In fact, there's a far greater window of opportunity now than what it was in 2016, because we know how some of the other big teams have struggled. Um, so maybe a more gradual progression might have been more more long term beneficial, uh, more to long term benefit of the club. Sorry. Uh, but I can understand why big bang approach because yeah. that's what the supporters want and all that type of stuff. Uh, why you would go for that? That's going to hold uh, hold us back. It, it will hold us back, saying over the next couple of years, as those longer term contracts go out of the system. Uh, and but it goes back to also what I'd said there and and Prano is that we've got two world class performers in the two most important positions in the club and are far more confident over the next four years than four years ago. If that makes sense because we didn't have Brandon Ancelotti then, even though Carlo has got to do something that he's not really done a management before about, as we all know, trying to build a team from not scratch, but you know, yeah, develop yeah. And, and develop players. So, um, far, far more uh, optimistic, I think, from the last four years. What I like is that what's our profile now compared to what it was like four years ago? I would say it's probably a lot higher before I had been here. I mean, on the, on the thing that you know. Bad news can be good news because it keeps you in the uh, mm-hmm. in in you know in yeah. the press and on Sky Sports News and stuff. Well, that's not a bad thing. Got Bramley Moore as well, so uh, I think the prof- profile of the club's better. I mean, sponsor. There's a big thing yesterday, yesterday about sponsorship has doubled, hasn't it? Twenty odd million more. Okay, not not a massive amount. And some people say, well, some of that's you know car, you know uh, Mercedes friends' money. Mm. Shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> but and say, well, it's not really an increase for the you know. By the club, well, it is because what happens is when you have a billionaire owner, it gives you access to the billionaire. Yeah, that's where it comes from. That's the advantage of having a billionaire owner. And is and, and, and is that an off the field in, in four years' time, Gav? Does the club have to have made more progress to being self sufficient and its own driver of well, financial growth? Well, we have to be, don't we? You know, we, we, we want to be in Europe, you know, we don't want to go down the FFP line, also, but we've done that yeah. haven't we, on a couple of times recently. We know what we have to do in terms of FFP, and we've seen now other clubs have struggled. So we have to. You said quite early on the club needs to be sustainable and financially viable. So it's that's where your director of football comes in. So I am I am optimistic. I mean, it's the good thing as well is is we've spoken like on the on the the pod. We've got the age of the 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 team. We've got four or five players whose best years ahead yes. ahead of them, and we you know. 
Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, Holgate, there's three for the start. Yeah. You know, hopefully Wobie comes it, you know, can can do something. John John um, Kenny maybe. Yeah, Gomez we've mentioned, yeah. yeah. You know, so in terms of the age profile of the team and their, their careers over four or five years, the squad's in a far better place than what we were in 2017. Yes. Uh, which is good. And, um, and I think, you know, very optimistic because I don't see the clubs around us really kicking on. Really, you know, you looking, you're looking at them, you're thinking, you know, there, there's, you don't see, you know, you see a top six place being up for grabs for a number of seasons. Next four yeah. Years. yeah, yeah. You it's can't tell, can you? T- your teams can change dramatically. Yeah. And no one saw that Leicester improvement coming the way it did. Manchester United could be on the cusp of uh, an yeah. improvement. Well, collectively, it's a group. But equally, they could be like, you know, yeah. collapsing. You just don't know. Do you? Well, well, collectively, it's a group. I'm talking yeah. about, like, you know, if you think about the yeah. big six from five years yes. ago or six years ago and the big four ten sure. years ago. Yeah, one or two might kick on, but collectively, uh, you know, they're not. Um, and so I think there's an opportunity there. Um, and I think, f- I think, I think if you marked it, I'd say off the pitch, excellent. You know, lots of different ways, but I'm more on the pitch, average, but lots of room for improvement. Which hopefully we've we've got the tools. Mm. From so you're going to for a B minus, are you? I, th- I think two scores, Preno. Or a C plus. I'd say I'd say B plus off the pitch. Yeah. B minus on the pitch for makes your pay. That's fair. Yeah. Your B, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, customary predictions time now. Um, Preno Everton versus Manchester United. Good us in two p.m. What will the score be? Um, before I make the prediction, can I just uh, throw something in there that Sunday is a significant oh, day course, in the uh, Everton Football Club's history. It's the fortieth anniversary of uh, the passing of William Ralph Dean, who, uh, who died at Goodison Park, and whose ashes are sprinkled across the halfway line. He's still there, he's been there ever since. Um, the club are marking it. Uh, there's going to be things in the programme. The family have been invited to the game. Uh, the Gladys Street in 1938, uh, people have put together a beautiful banner, which is going to be on display at the street end. So, you know, it's a 40 40th anniversary. It's a significant milestone. Um, so that's going to be marked on the day. And I'd like to think that the people on the pitch can, you know, sort of mark it in the right fashion possible. In that Everton will win two one, and uh, one of the goals will be scored by our current centre forward and number nine, Lovely. Dominic oh, Carver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Take that. That'll be a great day. Uh, Ad two 0 <laughs> First short, clean, short first clean sheet since Brighton. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm confident. Okay. Gav? I've got to go with the lads. I've no idea. <laughs> yeah, can't, <laughs> can't, can't poo-poo it. You know, kind of. Yeah, I think. I, I think. I think this could be our most important game of the season in terms of the Premier League. Turning point for better or worse, you yeah, mean? Yeah. yeah. As Panel said before, we had that long conversation last week of the importance of the, the next four games. And having lost on on, <coughs> on on Sunday a bit, rather than luckily, it's pressed that it's put extra importance on this game, hasn't yeah, it, really? Yeah. And I think, you know, a result either way could really have a big determinant factor on how the rest of the season season goes, really. So I think it's perhaps our most important game, Premier League game of the season. Mm. Yeah, I'll be in agreement. Midfield. Oh, I've got yeah, given the result. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. Uh, 2-0 to Evan. 2-0. Good. Um, midfield concerns aside, I think there's huge confidence. We'll all be at Goodison and confident, won't we? Because it's Goodison and the form there has been very, very good. So I think 2-1 as well. I think we will... Back on track, right in the mix for Europe. Chaps, thank you very much for your company. Excellent, as always. Great insight and opinion. And thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast.
You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.